Welcome back to Why the Flick, a podcast where two friends and former journalists talk movies and ask the hard-hitting questions. I'm Elizabeth. I'm Claire. And I am coming to you from a new location today. Yeah, Very I love exciting. your background. I'm pretty sure those are tapes, CDs. Oh, they, all, they did look like books to me. So, could, I mean, just from- be like eight tracks, actually. Ooh. <laughs> the I library like that. keeps that stuff, man. A little bit retro. Yeah, exactly. How are you, Claire? I'm good. I'm finally getting over this dang cold that I've had for the last few weeks. It's just winter sucks. Yeah. Everyone has had something I feel like in the past month or maybe the past like three years. True. I mean, isn't that crazy that we're like in year three of the pandemic, I guess. I was just thinking about how it's coming up on like the two year anniversary of me starting to work from home um, for my job. And I'm like, wow, I can't believe I've been working from home for two years. That's insane. We've since moved to a new house during that time, which also Mm -hmm. seems crazy. It's yeah. It feels like it's been a lot longer than that, but it doesn't when you look at it, it's a pretty short amount of time. Yeah. Cause I feel like we've been talking about it in terms of two years for a while. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, Oh, when you were talking, I was doing the math in my head, like really only two years, um, which is yeah, of course it's crazy, but mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. You know, we're just, just keep on chugging, keep on moving, keep That's on keeping on. Eventually keep we will on, not on mark our lives by what year or month we are in the pandemic. I look forward to that day. I do too. I hope we get to that. Maybe that's what the year of 22 will be. We kind of are just like putting it behind us. Although I have heard it's 2020 part two and I'm like, no, we're not, we're not doing that. (laughs) I reject that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Hey, let's get our minds off of the big wide scary world and let's yeah. talk about movies going let's go back to the 1960s yeah. mm. okay uh, so was it like a I rough know. time <laughs> my <Right>. bad <laughs> whoops <laughs> but we're gonna talk about some of the the good stuff and some of the bad stuff too mm-hmm. but we're gonna do it through the great Sydney Poitier uh, who starred in Lilies of the Field, among many others, but that's the movie that we're going to talk about today. I really want to honor and celebrate Sidney Poitier's life, um, so we're going to do that. We're going to talk about how race and immigration and religion is portrayed in Lilies of the Field, the significance of this movie, and of course the significance of Sidney Poitier's career. So sit back and enjoy. So Elizabeth, why the flick did you choose this movie? Great question, Claire. Thank you. Yeah. So, (laughs) um, unfortunately, uh, the great Sidney Poitier died earlier this month, January 6th. And I am embarrassed to say that I, while I've always known of him and of his work and his significance, I've never actually seen a Sidney Poitier movie. 
And so I thought that this would be a good time to learn about him and his career and to obviously watch one of his movies and celebrate his, his work in life. And so I chose Lilies of the Field because when I would ask people or when I would, you know, look into it, which movie I should start with, Lilies of the Field always came up, but also it's significance because he was nominated for the best actor Oscar, I'm sorry, and won that Oscar. And he was the first black man to do so. And so I thought it'd be a good, good jumping off point to talk about his life and work. And I'm the same, I'm the same. I, I knew of him, but I never really watched a movie with him in it. I think, you know, in generally speaking, I don't tend to watch a lot of older movies, but I like older movies. And so I was really excited to get into this one, especially after what, like I read the description. Um, I really didn't know what to expect. We can jump into initial reactions if you want, but I just like, when I first watched or when I first read the synopsis, I was like, I didn't know that it was, it's supposed to be kind of interpreted as a comedy. Uh, but when I watched it, it's very comedic. I had a lot of fun watching it. I thought it was really charming and I did appreciate the old timey quality to it where it's like a full black and white picture. So that really took me back, but I had a fun time watching it. Yeah. When I read the synopsis, I was like, that sounds weird. And it's a comedy. Yeah. Like it's this, a uh, bunch of nuns solicit a random guy to build a chapel for a chapel. them. Um, in the middle of nowhere and it's a comedy and I was like are you guys sure <laughs> are you sure this is the one How I should is watch this a comedy <laughs> yeah um but yeah I actually really enjoyed it and thought it was much more endearing and relatable than I expected um mm. definitely has like a sweetness to it and it is such a kind of different unique story or, or plot mm-hmm. um but watching it I was like no this totally makes sense this is like a brilliant storyline and a really great way to explore like a bunch of different themes which of course we'll get into yeah for sure so yeah I really liked it okay so like I I said I want to take this opportunity to kind of honor his work and career and so we're going to start there I will say I am by no means a as we've established a Sidney Poitier expert and have just kind of given myself a crash course over the past week, but I'm hoping for people who aren't as familiar with his work, that this will be a good introduction. Um, I feel like a very surface level appreciated who he was um, before watching this movie and, and researching, but now I actually think I have a true appreciation and I'm really excited to learn more and to watch more of his work. Mm -hmm. So let's start with a little bit about Sidney Poitier. So he was born in 1927, uh, grew up in the Bahamas. His parents were tomato farmers. They actually were in Miami, Florida, um, selling tomatoes and unexpectedly gave birth to Sidney while they were in Miami. Um, Mm -hmm. I saw in one interview, I think it was CBS News, that they, because he was three months premature. Oh, wow that his father was like having a casket made because they didn't know if he was going to make it. Oh my um, God. His mom like went to a palm reader <laughs> looking for guidance, um, 
but of course he he did he did make it which I feel like from the get-go Sidney Poitier was on the path to prove people wrong and to right. uh, be triumphant against all odds. So eventually, um, around 15 years old, he moves to Miami, Florida. He had kind of been getting into some trouble. So his parents um, sent him to live with a family member in Miami. Pretty soon, he finds his way to New York City. Um, while he's there, he works lots of odd jobs, deals with a lot of rejection. And he's also introduced to race in America. So because he grew up in the Bahamas, where people looked like him, um, it wasn't really, uh, you know, part of his life, certainly not in the way that it is here in America, and especially in, um, well, I'm not exactly sure what year that would have been that he was in um, Miami or New York, but his career, which we'll get to, unfolds in the 50s and 60s, which is a very tumultuous time. Um, and so mm-hmm. he's confronted with, with that. He finds his way to a theater that had a call for auditions. I want to say it was a theater in in Harlem, uh, but it was called the American Negro Theater. Um, And so he didn't really know what he was doing. He couldn't read very well. And he also had a very thick accent at this point. Mm. Um, So he was rejected pretty hard. Uh, Did not, um, you know, get, get the role or get into, I think there's an acting school there that time around. But he did have an opportunity to work as a janitor at the theater. And he took that as an opportunity to learn from other actors who were doing it. So he could actually watch them. At some point in the the timeline, he was a dishwasher somewhere. And someone that he worked with, um, an older waiter, offered to teach him how to read. So that's where he learns to read. And eventually he breaks into theater. Now that there's a big gap there. Um, yeah. I'm sure we can imagine how difficult it was. Um, but he eventually breaks into theater, um, does a few Broadway or off-Broadway shows. Um, his first credited film role is in 1950's No Way Out. Uh, he goes on to have over 50 film acting credits and also directs a number of films. So that's the, the, the speedy biography of Sidney Poitier leading up to his uh, movie career. Yeah. I, I didn't know that he like was born prematurely. And so just the fact of like, he was a, and especially during that time, I imagine, especially for people of color, you know, they don't have as they might not have had as much access to hospital care and healthcare, and mm. just the fact that he was able to be okay and come back from that really speaks to, I mean, even though he was an infant, um, speaks to his spirit, I think. Yeah, I, I think so. It's hard not to make those connections and there's nothing scientific about this, but you, you put it well, his spirit, I feel like mm-hmm. he really he, he came out strong. And I think yeah. he was also um, ready before anyone else was, which was also a theme, mm. I think, uh, in his career. Okay. So now I want to talk a little bit more about his career and why it was so significant that he managed to be a successful actor at the time. Um, so he really came up in film during the beginnings of the civil rights movement and had some of his biggest success at the height of the movement. 
So I wanted to give you a, a few kind of points in the in the civil rights timeline, just so we can get a sense and have that context of his career during this time. So starting in 1955, um, you have 14-year-old Emmett Till, a young Black child, who was brutally murdered in Mississippi for allegedly flirting with a white woman. In 1955, same year, Rosa Parks refuses to give up her seat to a white man in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, 1957, the Civil Rights Act is signed into law. You have the Greensboro sit-in, Freedom Rides. Um, in 1963, which is the same year that Lilies of the Field came out, was the March on Washington and Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. Um, and that same year was the bombing of a Baptist church in Birmingham that killed four young Black girls. In 1965, Malcolm X is assassinated. Same year, Bloody Sunday during the march from Selma. And in 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. is assassinated. So we can see how tumultuous, how active, um, how divided these mm -hmm. times are and just how much is, is going on. And then you have Sidney Poitier, a black man from the Bahamas who like barrels into Hollywood and, and, and manages, like I said, to put together this amazing career and have um, such success. Um, and he was, so he became a leading man. He was really America's first black leading man and portraying black characters and roles that white audiences and black audiences had never or had rarely seen. So he played a detective. He played a doctor a couple of times, I believe. Um, in one movie, In the Heat of the Night, he slaps a white man, which especially for the time right. was shocking. Um, so a white man slaps him and he immediately slaps him back. And that was like slap heard around the world. Um, so he really, he challenged audiences. Um, one New York Times reporter put it this way. He said that Sidney Poitier was like the Hollywood bureau of the civil rights movement, which was mm -hmm. kind of a good way to think of it. Like, and he also mm -hmm. like, he was, uh, he joined the March on Washington. So um, yeah. I don't know a ton about like how active he was um, in the movement or in protests and things like that. Um, but he definitely was a part of that in addition to a movement of his, of his own in Hollywood and on the screen. So like I mentioned, um, he was the first black person to win the Oscar for best actor in 1963 for Lilies of the Field. By 1967, he was the top leading man and one of the highest paid actors, which is again, astonishing. Yeah. Uh, his credits include To Sir With Love, A Raisin in the Sun, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and as I mentioned, In the Heat of the Night. And just to give you a little more context of how revered he was, over his lifetime, he received numerous honors, including the AFI Lifetime Achievement Award, an Honorary Academy Award, which is like their version of the Lifetime Achievement Award, um, uh, the Kennedy Center Honor, NAACP Image Hall of Fame Award, and the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which was given to him by uh, former President Barack Obama. Um, and I just want to read this quote. Um, this was explaining why Sidney Poitier received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. In front of black and white audiences struggling to write the nation's moral compass, Sidney Poitier brought us the common tragedy of racism, the inspiring possibility of reconciliation and the simple joys of everyday life. Ultimately, the man would mirror the character and both would advance the nation's dialogue on race and respect. 
I think the significance of him winning the Oscar for back for best actor being the first time for a black actor is even more so significant because up until that point, only one other black actor had received a top Oscar award. And that went to Hattie McDaniel for best supporting actress in Gone with the Wind. And in reading about what this meant at the time and what it meant subsequently, I came across this article that the New Yorker wrote after he, his death this month, I guess, that they, they had written and published it. Um, but they quote a lot uh, from Sydney's autobiography, This Is Life, which I want to read. But he wrote about this Oscars moment and what was going on with him internally when all of that was happening. So I wanted to read this quote that I feel like gives a little bit more context to what he was experiencing. But he said, think, Sydney, think, time is of the essence. Whatever I say must be the truth first, and it must be something intelligent and impressive that will leave the people in that room and the millions watching at home, leave them all dully and irrevocably impressed with the intelligence and decorum of one black actor, Sydney Portier. And I'm like, that is a lot of weight to put on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, when you think about it in context of all of this, a lot of what was happening, especially when he won the, the Best Actor Award and when Lilies of the Field came out, it was happening in tandem with these key moments of the civil rights movement, like you said. And also, uh, Lilies of the Field, when I was reading up on it, seemed to be one of the first times that a Black character was portrayed in a more positive light versus in movies previously, they'd been more typecast as like a you know slave or sassy maid, you know, very stereotypical roles. And so that comes with, you know, changing this perception of Black people, I think, comes with a lot of pressure for Sydney in particular to have this burden of, you know, being squeaky clean and, you know, not being able to make mistakes or show negative emotions. And so I think, you know, that's kind of, perceived too in the rest of his career where he's in these like movies like guess who's coming to dinner where he plays a very quote-unquote civilized black man who enlightens a white family and I don't know it just feels like a lot of weight to put on one person to carry all of that yeah and I would love to hear from him and hopefully there's there are interviews out there of just what that weight felt like um and really how he, he carried it. I mean, cause he did it with such grace, um, certainly yeah. publicly. I, I read somewhere and I can't remember what the interview was about if it was after his win, but um, he kept getting questions kind of along that line about being a black mm-hmm. man. And he, I say snapped, but I don't think he actually snapped. I think it was just yeah. like such a rare glimpse at him getting mildly frustrated. Um, right he said uh, something along the lines of why does every question have to be about uh, my blackness or my, you know, being black in this, in this career. And then he like also apologized for even, even questioning it. Um, And like I said, that was, I think a a rare, um, rare example of any frustration. I think he, he carried that weight really well. There was another quote in his autobiography that I saw that kind of speaks to that 
where he said, I was being pushed to change the world as it related to me and mine. I was being pushed to do the impossible because it's not on one person to make this change. But I think he felt the significance of yeah. being this movement. Yeah. And it quite literally was on one person. Right. And now yeah. he, like when you watch, um, you know, some of his acceptance speeches. So in 1963 for Lilies, and then even in 2002, when he got the honorary Academy Award, uh, he is quick to thank all the other people and filmmakers mm-hmm. who, especially at the time, were taking a risk. So certainly it, it took more people to, to buy into Sidney Poitier, um, but it really quite literally was on one person's um, shoulders yeah. to, to show up and really do the work. And mm-hmm. then another layer of this is that he also got criticism. He got criticism mm-hmm. um, for, for portraying characters that were agreeable to white audiences, that um, appeased to white audiences. So he was always this very kind of clean cut upstanding gentleman and, mm-hmm. and, and agreeable. And he got backlash for that. Um, he said, this is in a uh, quoted from a New York times article. And he was kind of asked about that criticism. And he said, it's a choice, a clear choice. If the fabric of the society were different, I would scream to high heaven to play villains and to deal with different images of Negro life. That would be more dimensional, but I'll be damned if I do that at this stage of the game, which I think is something that has came up a bit when we talked about La La Land mm-hmm. and um, what was a, a problem in that movie was that you had the one black character was speaking a uh, speaking part was also the man who was like ruining jazz. Um, yeah. So he was kind of the, you know, the villain and jazz that is, that's also, you know, steeped in, in black history and black culture. And the, and I think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar said something to this effect that the problem isn't that in itself, isn't just that you have a black character who's the quote unquote villain. It's that it's the only black character. And I think that in general has been a problem. Yes, black characters can and should, or black people can and should play complex, dark roles and villain roles um, and all of that good juicy stuff. Like they should be able to, to play the spectrum. I think the mm-hmm. problem is when those are the only roles that right. we're seeing. Um, and so it really is about covering covering that, that spectrum and having opportunities to, to do, to do it all. And at the time there, there obviously wasn't <laughs> that spectrum. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, that makes sense. And, and, and I got the sense that city Poitier felt very comfortable and confident in that philosophy and in those choices. Yeah. Anything too about just the past of Hollywood and how for a lot of black actors they had such minimal roles and such minimal opportunities to to place different characters and so a lot of characters that they had to fall into were these stereotypes and if you're seeing these stereotypes played out again and again and again then it's going to create biases it's going to you know get more steeped I think in racist ideology and all of that and so they're kind of like starting off at you know, between a rock and a hard place. And so just to have Sidney Poitier come, come out and show, like, at least be a jumping off point to introduce new roles, I think is good. But then there's a backlash to that too. And 
you know, I don't know what the right answer is when it comes to that, but I think there needs to be a balance of everything and just showing more people of color in different, all types of roles um, can help maybe break down some of those walls. Yeah. And I can't, you know, going back to carrying that weight, imagine that conundrum for all those black actors who did take those more stereotypical roles and those supporting mm-hmm. roles that I'm sure they were criticized for. Yeah. Um, but they, they wanted to work and they wanted to act and they wanted to, you know, break in somehow and to make that kind of impossible choice. Yeah. I certainly don't, don't envy that. Okay. So let's get into lilies of the field. Um, so obviously it's starring Sydney Poitier. <laughs> if you haven't <laughs> if been you listening didn't already, catch yeah. on. If you've been doing the dishes and tuning us out, <laughs> um, <laughs> Sydney Poitier plays Homer Smith. Homer Smith is a 30 something black man driving across the country. When his car starts overheating on a long desolate Arizona road, he pulls off on what turns out to be a church slash nunnery for water for his car and meets a group of nuns led by mother Maria. Mother Maria, played by Lilia Scala, and the nuns speak little English, but they see Homer's arrival as a gift from God because they are in desperate need of help to build a chapel, and Homer, who they call a big strong man, can help. Mother Maria solicits Homer's help with the implications that he will be paid, but they don't really have money um, to pay him. Um, I adore these two characters Mm -hmm. together. They are both incredibly stubborn and proud and self-respecting and persuasive and smart. And um, they both have different goals or goals that maybe uh, don't match up. And so they they butt heads a lot, Um, but they are formidable and it it makes for a great story. And I think some some great comedic moments. Yeah, Homer is... Homer is just so funny. And then when you pair him with Mother Maria, it definitely has such a comedic effect. Like Mother Maria's facial expressions sometimes, yeah. like it would it would just be her face making a weird look. And I was just like, that in of, in of itself is pure comedy. There were so many exchanges between the two that were also just funny in general. I think in that beginning um, scene, when he first comes up to the nunnery, Mother Maria says, God is good. He has sent me a big, strong man. And Homer says, he didn't say anything to me. <laughs> um, and I was just like, that's really funny. I don't know. It's just, yeah, it, it's yeah. The, the two of them together are just so endearing and comedic. And he has such a like cool confidence that mm-hmm. he can, like, he can take it, you know, like he's, yeah. he's, a, he's a good opponent for Mother Maria yeah. and he can just kind of like take her uh, her, her demands and her mm-hmm. barking, <laughs> um, his like really quips well. back to her were yes. so like spot on. Yeah. I loved it. Um, okay. So this movie is directed or was directed by Ralph Nelson, um, music by Jerry Goldsmith. And I point that out because, um, music in this movie is really used as a tool kind of to fill in the gaps and move the story along, which I think mm-hmm. is a device we probably saw more of, um, in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, and that's not a criticism at all. In fact, mm-hmm. I thought it, it worked well and it, it got the job done. Um, yeah. the movie or the, the script is based on the novel, the lilies of the field by William E Barrett screenplay written by James Poe. 
And I, when I was looking through the IMDb um, cast list, I noticed that Ralph Nelson also played Mr. Ashton. Ah, yes. So that was, he was the, uh, he was the director and he acted in it, although I don't think he was credited. And then also just like the fact of how this movie got made is pretty remarkable. And not only did I see this on IMDb trivia, but also just throughout different articles I was reading, but it was shot and filmed in 14 days. Yeah. And the fact that, yeah, I mean, just this, the fact, I mean, I don't typically know how long it takes to, to produce a movie or film a movie. I imagine it's like a few months, couple months, you know, something along those lines, but 14, there's two weeks it took to film this movie and it's just crazy. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was like a little indie film for its time, mm-hmm. um, had a shoestring budget. I can't remember what the number was, um, but it wasn't yeah. much. Um, I only know that Ralph Nelson had to put up his house as collateral. Sidney Poitier took a pay cut mm-hmm. yeah, um, because he believed in the movie and wanted it to get done. And I think that's just like another layer in why this film is endearing and why it was loved at the yeah. time is because uh, it's just kind of this like small little production. Yeah. And yeah. the cast like is so small. Mm-hmm. It feels close knit. Like I, there's, I mean, this might be the smallest cast that we've really had like watched a movie with mm-hmm. sort of maybe like I mean La La Land was more focused on certain characters but still there was a big cast to like of dancers and performers uh with that but yeah this cast was so small and I don't know it just felt like they were a family mm-hmm. yeah because it's like it's Mother Marie and four other nuns and then Homer and then even like the the community that they're in which is pretty spread out not a very big population, um, mm-hmm. but it's a very small, close-knit kind of community in the times that we do get to see them. And I think we'll talk uh, more about that. So I do want to talk about the portrayal of race in this movie. It's not necessarily integral to the story. You're not hit over the head with it, but it's definitely there in more subtle ways. Um, so I want to talk about um, first speaking of Mr. Ashton, an exchange that has a lot of racist undertones. So Homer takes the nuns to rent a tractor um, to help build the chapel. That's why they were there, right? Were they there for another reason? I think they were hoping, so he took them up there and the nuns were hoping to like solicit Mr. Ashton for supplies for the chapel. Yeah. And while they're like, they, he was just like, I'm leaving. And they're like, well, take us to this place while, you, while you're on your way. And so then yeah. he noticed the tractor. Yeah. And, you know, Mother Maria is sneaky. So I don't know how much of mm-hmm. that was part of the plan that she was going to take mm-hmm. Homer here, see the tractor. They need someone, uh, obviously, to operate the tractor and Homer could do it. I definitely wouldn't put it uh, past her. So uh, Mr. Ashton, who owns this place, um, keeps questioning Sydney, not Sydney, Homer, um, (laughs) if he's, if he's really a contractor and if he's really capable Uh of operating machinery, which like on the surface are fair questions, but there was a tone there and the way that he kind of like kept questioning him. It, to me was clear that because he was a black man, that he, his credibility was more in question. Um, Mm -hmm. at one point, Mr. Ashton asked Homer, how did they, speaking of the nuns, how did they get mixed up with you? that mixed up 
kind of phrase I think is, uh, has some meaning uh, to it. Um, mm. So then Mr. Ashton's laying out the rules of um, renting and using the tractor and says that he takes cash only. And he's like skeptical that they could do cash only. Um, anyway, and then he says, you understand boy? Yeah, yeah. And then he walks mm. away and Homer says, hey boy. Which right. I was just I like, loved that part. Fuck yeah. To me, this is like the verbal version of the slap. I was slap. gonna say that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It felt like that. <laughs> totally. I was just like, fuck uh, yeah, Homer. I, I can't was... remember what he even said after that. <laughs> I know. I was because I felt like things something was gonna escalate at that mm-hmm. point. It never did. But yeah, I think he just the fact that he said, hey boy, back. I was like, yes. Ugh. Yeah. And it, that moment speaks a lot to the character. And I, I think it speaks a lot mm-hmm. to Sidney uh, Poitier as well, which is just like, mm-hmm. he is not going to be treated like that. He says at one point in the film, I'm not going to feel small anymore. Um, mm-hmm. That's, you know, Im- important to him. Going back to um, the slap in, in the heat of the night, um, that was Sidney Poitier had that put in the script. He demanded So it was written in the script that the the white man would slap him and he demanded that he slap him back and he had it like put into the contract. So I feel like Homer and and Sydney um, definitely had some similarities. Yeah. Mr. Ashton comes back later on in the movie and just solidifies his status as an asshole, uh, a racist (laughs) asshole. (laughs) Um, And he... I think they're this is when they're just talking about because the Homer left at, at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ashton describes him as, you know, shiftless and, and irresponsible, you know, the type. Um, yeah. Definitely picked up on that. Yeah. It's interesting that Ralph Nelson wanted to play Mr. Ashton, although I know. maybe it was just a budget thing. He's like, I don't want to pay someone for this. <laughs> yeah, I'll just fill in the role. But, yeah. but yeah, I mean, definitely. And, and up until that point, like, you know, Homer had gone to the, gone to the job, done the work really well. He hadn't shown any signs of being shiftless and irresponsible, but I think this is just one example that shows the like covert racism that was happening at the time. And I think, you know, to an extent, like this film has a more definitely a more idealistic mindset when it comes to issues of race because it's not as you know hard hitting but it still has it in there and so I think you know it does a it does a good job or you know at least tries to still have some sort of like acknowledgement of what is happening in our time that time and, and around the world and everything right so a couple of other areas where race is kind of referred to um he homer is working on the chapel and uh, mother maria or one of the nuns call him for dinner or for a meal and he's and he says oh (laughs) oh mother gonna feed the slaves i (laughs) i was like jaw dropped uh, i did too and cackling um yeah i just i was like expect that (laughs) for this time for mm-hmm. for a a joke like that because to me i think what that does is that's giving a black character like ownership over this narrative and like mm-hmm. turning it on its head or um i don't know just taking ownership 
of it and and yeah. that he felt that now he says it to himself I and mean, no one was around to hear him um but that he felt that confident to make a joke like that yeah and just the fact that it was in a, in a movie in 1963 just shocks me oh. I know I, yeah. I, I did not expect them to do that. It felt very sarcastic coming from him and he would be like, just like the way he delivered it too mm-hmm. was just so spot on. Um, and I think that speaks a lot to, to Sydney's acting, but yeah, just when he dropped that line, I was, I think I may, I don't know if I rewound and watched it again. Cause I was just like, wait, I have to <laughs> like catch that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's another part in the movie where Juan, who I think we'll talk about more, um, this is after they've built the chapel. Sorry, spoiler. Um, <laughs> and someone like jokingly calls him a gringo and Homer says something like, it's not the worst that I've been called. And I think we all mm-hmm. know like what he's, he's right. talking about um, in that moment. So again, it's not, this movie isn't, I don't think it hits you over the head with race. If anything, it's, uh, I think more about the immigrant story, um, which mm-hmm. you can talk to, but I know that there was, um, another instance that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. So I think there's the instance of Homer wanting to build the chapel himself where, you know, he had talked about how all his life he wanted to build something. And if maybe he had gotten an education, he would have been an architect architect or an engineer. I think that that speaks to the opportunities that aren't weren't at the time available to people of color. I think there are also there were also a lot of implications of perhaps racism and why Homer returned back to the nunnery we see he has a swollen eye when he comes back and obviously we don't know what happened but I think it's hard to not put those pieces together especially when you think about when this movie came out um so I noticed that and I I another thing um that actually didn't catch until I was reading up on the movie a little bit more was that apparently Homer is a transient military veteran and um I think you could possibly see it there and how black people are treated differently when it comes to military benefits. You know, he obviously is a veteran and, you know, served in the military, did his time, but yet he doesn't have the resources when he gets back to be able to live and he has to travel a lot. And I think that, I mean, that seems to be a story for veterans too, Mm -hmm. but I think it's more so when it comes to people of color. So those were some other instances that I noticed when I was watching back. Yeah. So I saw um, that you had made a note about the swollen eye. And I remember when he returned, there's something weird that happened at the bar. I was like, and I rewound a couple of times and I couldn't make sense of it. So he, he goes to Juan's um, trading post and he kind of like hits the bar hard. And then he suddenly mm-hmm. is like going to his eye, like his eye hurts. And I was like, did he just hit yeah. himself? Like what happened? I, yeah. Um, but no, I think you're right. He, so he left and then he returns and he has a, a black eye, which Juan gives him ice for, and it looks like it's, you know, nearly um, swollen shut. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of just confused me more than anything. I think you're probably right that there's a suggestion there that there was some racist not interaction, but you know what I'm trying to say, um, attack or, right. or, or something. What I love about this movie is, is the subtlety of these realities. 
that I think is maybe a little too subtle. I don't know that there's actually, it adds much value because it's just kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> what mm-hmm. What's what's wrong yeah. with his eye? Well, and you think too, when he goes back, he's got this, he's got sunglasses on, which is why you don't see it until he goes into the bar, but he seems peppy. He's like, mm-hmm. he looks fine. Um, he, when they get back to the, they have this like mass that it happens out of the back of a truck, but he looks like kind of proud to, he's like standing there like, Hey, I came back. Um, and then it's not, it's, it seems like it happens so fast because once he goes into the trading post in the building, that's when he like his demeanor changes. And I think that's why it seems like it happens so quickly. Cause I was like, I, I was like, what just happened? And then he takes the sunglasses off and you can see it's the swollen eye. So it, I kind of, you know, pieced the two together after that, but yeah, it's not said in a very it, like overt way. I, and uh, the whole like conversation about race doesn't really come up that much for Homer and the nuns outside of the fact that just is stated as a fact that he, he is black when he's teaching them English. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not more, it's not really um, a conversation of racism, but more so just the fact that he is black and they are white. Yeah. And I think sometimes that can be the most powerful way to tell those stories is that it is a fact of life and we're showing it to you. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I think it does it well in this movie. Um, yeah, on the veteran thing, I also did not pick that up. And I started going back and watching um, different clips to see if there's talk of it. And then I was doing a little reading and I don't think it's ever said. I think what he wears suggests it. Mm. So it's probably something that was maybe more obvious to people at the time. Um, yeah. And maybe they picked up w- on it. I wondered if he had dog tags, maybe. I feel like the only, like, I feel like there might have been something I missed in the first scene when his car breaks down that maybe I didn't grab onto the first time because it's not said or anything yeah. um, as clearly. So, yeah, I, that wasn't something I even knew until I read up on it because I just thought he was, he was just traveling, just a, you know, regular yeah. guy just traveling through the, through America and through the West. trying to get to California was he trying Mm -hmm. to get to okay yeah I read somewhere that one of his shirts military style shirt like the one of the long sleeve button-ups and that there was and I I didn't like look too deep into this but that there was were signs that like a sergeant's insignia had been like ripped off or something Mm. so if like that's probably my biggest if maybe only criticism about this movie is that we just don't know much about Homer's background and right. why he's really traveling across country and where he went when he left briefly and, you know, where he yeah. came from and, and all of that. And I would have liked to have fleshed that out a little more. I mean, cause mm-hmm. we really, I think we learn more about the nuns background than anything, but so speaking of the nuns, um, like mm-hmm. I said, we have a lot of immigrant stories in this movie as well. So the nuns are all immigrants. I don't think all of them are from East Germany because there's also another part where the nun is like listing or mother Maria maybe yeah. is listing off where they're all from. Um, mm-hmm. But what we, we do know is that they came from very far um, and they also came from uh, a tumultuous situation and have very little money as we come to mm-hmm. find out. The town, it's 
itself is a town of Mexican immigrants. Homer is, as far as we know, is American, but certainly as a as a black man knows what it's like um, to be um, to be othered, um, to be oppressed, and so they all kind of have that that they can relate to. And again, that's not necessarily spoken about. They don't sit around the campfire and talk about what it's like, you know, being the target of racist attacks or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So again, it's at it's at Juan's trading post, where I think it's the first time. Homer's at, is at Juan's trading post. The nuns are having a service outside. It's like this traveling church service. And Juan, who is tending bar and, and owns the place, tells Homer um, and the audience a little bit more about the nuns that they came over from East Germany, that they don't actually have any money. Um, and I think it's a bit of a, a, a turning point for Homer because he mm-hmm. is seeing, oh, wait, maybe they, they kind of get it. They also have had yeah. to really fight for what they have. And they're still, you know, after that point back and forth between him and mother Maria, and he still wants to get paid for his work, which is fair. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that kind of deepens this like unspoken, you know, common experience between them. Um, Do we know when this movie is supposed to have taken place? Is it considered the 1960s? That's a good question. I don't know. I only asked because they, I, I'm pretty sure they mentioned the wall, which I yes, thought the was the Berlin wall. Um, I just did a quick Google on the Berlin wall to see the dates. It was uh, up from 1961 to 1989. Yeah. So there's a lot of mention of Hitler. So I was like, did they escape? You know, I don't think it was set that early on in the, like the 1940s. Yeah, um, I'm not sure, but I think it's probably it's like relatively fresh, fresh. Yeah. Um, and then there, there was a point where Homer compares mother Maria to Hitler. Yeah. That was, <laughs> I was like, Oh, boy. Too far. she, Too far. she got him back though. Cause then when she, then when they were building the chapel, I think she made a reference to Hitler. Um, oh, okay. I missed that. So I, I, it was very, very brief. Um, I don't know if she was calling Homer Hiller, but I think she was (laughs) turning the joke maybe back on him. We really have not learned in this country. Just don't make Hitler comparisons. Just don't. I don't care how tempted you are. Especially for nuns that have escaped East Germany. And that is like definitely hits closer to home for them than anybody who is, you know, living or an American born in America. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It, the whole immigrant story I think speaks to a kind of mentality about immigrants in general you know the immigrants the nuns live very meagerly they are eating bread and milk for dinner they but they're like but we'll get some vegetables soon and some chicken so there's like hopefulness to them and everybody also keeps telling Homer he should pass through and don't stay with the sisters like they've pretty much worn out their welcome. And I think that's a pretty unfortunate common mindset when it comes to immigrants uh, in general. And that's kind of what the movie portrayed. It's just this idea of like, don't get mixed up with them. Is that what you Yeah, mean? just ignore, yeah. just ignore them and um, don't yeah. help, don't help them. There's a really specific scene when Homer and mother Maria, they have their big argument before he leaves for the first time. 
And that's when there are no more bricks left. And he's like, well, I've, you know, given my half of the snake agreement, your part of it was to get me more bricks and you don't have more bricks. And she gets really frustrated at this point. And she says, me, I come 8,000 miles to this place. You cry about a few bricks, which are not here. When you want them, do you know what we went through to get to this place? Mm. And that I felt like was the biggest, like, uh, kind of acknowledgement of what they had gone through to get there and what they had experienced and how they're, I think, grateful just to have this ability to be free. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it felt like that really sunk in the immigrant story for me. Yeah. And again, it's, we, learn more about the nun story than we do Homer. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that we have that, um, those pieces of the nun's story. And I think it really adds to the, to the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. I just wish we had more of it or any of it, um, for Homer. Okay. Let's get into some notable scenes. Um, so one that I think is, um, a favorite for both of us and probably anyone who's, who's seen this movie, um, are the English lesson scenes. Um, yeah. So pretty early on uh, when Homer first meets the nuns and, and stays with them, um, he gives them an impromptu English lesson after dinner. He teaches them how to say like, stand up and sit down. Mm-hmm. And he uses kind of exaggerated movements. If you ever try to teach someone um, <laughs> Uh, a word in a, in a different language, you get kind of goofy and you're like pointing and, um, Mm -hmm. but it's really like, I think there's something so, um, like intimate about these scenes and just in general, the idea Mm -hmm. of like sharing culture and trying to teach someone culture, teach someone your, your language. And it's just really just, it's sweet. And I think like the idea that you're taking time, there's this language barrier, um, mm-hmm. you know, between two people or between a group of people and that you're both like taking the time to try to, to fill that gap, um, and to find a way to communicate. It's just like, I don't know. It's just really sweet. I really liked this scene too. And really only mother Maria speaks English. Mm-hmm. The other four nuns are, um, they know a little bit of English, but they're still learning. And I really like how Homer makes the English lessons interactive and fun Mm -hmm. which I feel like makes it you know once once you I I mean it's very difficult to learn a second language I was in French class like it's it's hard and learning English is all like a whole nother ball game because the English language is just not make weird weird. no (laughs) and so the fact that he's able to kind of make it like action-based and invigorates them I think and you know, prior to that, it looks like they're reading out of a book and it's very strict and straightforward. They're learning how to say something about a valet, which doesn't seem like would be as useful to them as learning some of other things. So I think um, just the fact that he was able to step in and make it fun. And they seemed like they were enjoying it a little bit more too, learning the language. There's also the part where they're singing together uh, the song, Amen. And they first are singing it amen and he comes in and he says no so let's say amen and then they just keep repeating amen 
um, kind of as the chorus line and he's singing one of the, you know, different verses and everything, but that was also one of my favorite parts. And I feel like a way to like use song as a way to break down those Mm -hmm. like language barriers. Yeah. There is another moment in the English lessons uh, that I like to, where he points to the uh, stove. He says, stove is black. Mm. And then he points to his skin. He said, my skin is black. And then the nuns point to their skin and say, my skin yeah. is black. And he says, no, yeah. her skin is white. My skin is black. Um, right. And again, I liked that acknowledgement of race in that moment. Cause it felt more like a, I don't want to say celebration. Cause that's, it's giving it a, a more than maybe that, that moment mm-hmm. is, but I think what I like about it is that um, it's another signal that Homer is very comfortable in his mm-hmm. blackness and confident in his blackness. And he's not trying to like hide it or shy away from it. Yeah. In fact, he even, he's mm-hmm. using it to teach uh, these nuns English. So I love that as well. Yeah. Um, speaking of communicating. So here's another scene that I thought was brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. And in terms of how Homer communicates with, with mother Maria in particular. So Homer keeps asking mother Maria for his wages um, this is like a, just a common back and forth throughout the movie. Um, and they start citing Bible verses at each other. <laughs> Homer has his Bible and mother Maria has her very large, <laughs> heavy um, oh my Bible. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huge. And I think Homer starts with, he cites a passage. That's not the word I was like, I for. have it. Um, a verse, a verse, but anyway. And so I think the first one is, he says for the laborer is worth his hire, which like implies you pay someone who's doing right. work and he's like, ha gotcha. <laughs> and mother Maria <laughs> cites something that says, let us all have one purse, um, mm-hmm. which I guess just means like, we all share what we have. And that's yeah, like, that's your, your, your wage. So anyway, this eventually leads to mother Maria having, getting the last word as she does. Mm-hmm. And she cites this Bible verse which is the namesake of the movie. Mm-hmm. She says, and why take ye thought for raiment? And I'm going to tell you what that means. The, the layman version of that line yes. is, why do you worry about clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And so the meaning behind this is that even the lilies understand that like they they will get their sun and they will get the water and they will get the nourishment that they need. Mm-hmm. They toil not. And this is something that mother Maria is big on. You know, when they run out of bricks, she says more bricks will come. Even when Homer leaves, she tells someone he will return. Like she just, that's kind of her, her survival mechanism and how she moves to the world is like, she just has to have faith that everything mm-hmm. will work out. And so she kind of, she kind of gets them with that one. (laughs) Yeah, she does. And I'm not well-versed in the Bible. So I definitely had to look up the interpretation of what this meant. And what I read was that essentially Jesus, it means Jesus told this, what, I guess what Jesus maybe told his followers, and that was not to worry about material goods, like you said, clothing um, or food, because God would provide them and it's often quoted when it is quoted, it's as advice to, you know, people feeling anxious and that anxiety, like being anxious, isn't helpful and you should trust in God. And I think that's really 
portrayed a lot in Mother Maria, who just has faith that things will work out. They'll get the bricks for the chapel. They'll everything is going to be fine. And she, if she just puts her faith in God, then everything will work out, which, you know, I think is also speaks to all then how religion is portrayed within the other characters too, throughout the movie. Um, so, you know, we said mother Maria has very strong faith in God. I find it ironic though, that she had said, we were not put on earth to hurry, but yet she wants to hurry along the building of the chapel later. So yep. I felt like, yeah, that was a pretty kind of eating her words moment. But then Homer is a Baptist um, and I'm not very frequent in what that exactly means. Just it's a, he just practices a different faith than, than, the, than Mother Maria and the nuns. Um, and then you have Juan, who I think is maybe an atheist. It's kind of, conveyed that way or he just isn't as like ingrained in faith um as some of these other characters he says praying doesn't pay or fill up the gas um and then the last yeah. sorry i was gonna say and it makes sense too because while they're having their church services he's inside the trading post you know serving mm-hmm. homer so yeah i think that that's probably true yeah and then you have father murphy who is a priest and he runs the church out of the back of his truck. It's he's quoted as like the poor man's Vatican, but then he's also, I don't know if this was a weird undertone, but he's mentioned by Juan that he drinks and he's Irish. Um, yeah, I picked up on that too. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, Hey, wait a minute. So, Hey, <laughs> eh, hey. um, but I do want to say, I love how father Murphy is wearing sunglasses in the background in one scene, like he's got his full garb on and then he's got these shades on, which I just love like the juxtaposition of like this casual, very like cool look with him being in his priestly outfit. Um, I definitely noticed, but yeah, I think there's definitely a message of miracles within this movie. Do we make our own miracles or does God? And it kind of depends on who you ask. Look, I envy people like mother Maria who really can just like turn over their faith in, you know, a higher being, um, and, and be like the lilies in the field. I'm not that Mm -hmm. person. No, I wish I I'm wish not, I were. I'm not especially religious. I am agnostic. I'll just say that. Um, I don't mind sharing that information. But yeah, I mean, there are points in time where I definitely have hope and I have faith in something out there, you know, something that might be um look watching or whatever over us. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. you know, at the same time, a lot of that has to be taken on yourself. Like Mother Maria. She believes that things will work out, but yet she writes to all of the religious organizations. So, you know, yeah, you, yeah. I think She's, there has to be some like it's not just like it's just gonna happen. You know, right. I think she has acknowledges like she has to do some things too to try to make it work. Right. Do you want to talk about the actual building of the chapel and yeah, because we the- alluded to it so many times. Right. Let's <laughs> talk about it. So the, as the good tie-in, I'm just talking about Mother Maria praying for the bricks. The bricks do finally get delivered thanks to the townspeople. 
And Juan, I think, explains this well. He says people give are giving the supplies because faith is important, especially for their children to have. Um, I also liked how Juan wants insurance for the hereafter just oh, yeah. in case. <laughs> it was like so good. Um, my take when I was watching that was like also probably people are tired of having masks out of the back of a truck and are like, let's build something so we can have something indoors. But, um, you know, despite receiving help from the townspeople, Homer says he's the only one who can build the chapel. He puts up, I love how he puts up signs that were like, keep off and don't touch anything. I like, I can relate to that energy. Um, but when the townspeople start helping, it definitely all goes to shit, you know, Mother Maria says the walls are too high. And there's a scene in particular where the nuns are trying to communicate with the townspeople. The nuns are speaking German or Eastern European, Eastern European, and the townspeople are, are speaking Spanish and nobody is getting a word in edgewise. Nobody can understand anybody else. And then Homer steps in. And I think it really shows how you know, these townspeople had all the best intentions, but they needed a leader. And, you know, Homer wasn't necessarily, I don't know if he would want to say he was wrong, but I can see where he definitely needed help, but it wasn't something where just, you know, the townspeople could take over and just know what to do. They definitely needed someone who was a leader. And I liked how Homer said, I am no boss, but I know um, how I want my chapel built. And I think that's when Mother Maria made the Hitler comment um, to him. But yeah, I just liked this scene in particular because it felt like it was blend. It was when it, when it first was portrayed, you know, Homer was very stubborn and then the townspeople were very stubborn. And just by coming together, they were able to make this chapel come to life. And that's what I think it's such a simple idea, but that's what I think this movie is about is that mm -hmm. if we, despite our differences, um, we, whether that's language or beliefs, um, you know, religious beliefs, um, if we all find a way to work together, it benefits all of us. I mean, Homer mm -hmm. was pretty, um, pretty intent on this idea of, I wanna build something myself. Like that right. was really important to him. And I don't know if he totally, um, accepted that by, even by the end of the movie, um, I think he mm -hmm. was still a little bummed that yeah. he didn't do it himself, but in terms of how we see this scene play out, I thought it was brilliant. So you have a, a pile of bricks next to mm -hmm. the chapel site and Homer is doing it all on, on his own. He has those signs up saying, don't touch. And he has to, it's not a great distance, but he has to keep walking to this pile, pick up one brick, walk to the site, walk up the ladder, walk across the uh, rafter thing, put down a, you know, lay a brick and then walk back down. And then go and still like brick. scoop the cement out of the, yeah. you know, thing that he's built. Yeah. And so uh, Juan is watching this, uh, thinking like, this is ridiculous. Um, mm -hmm. And so he slowly starts to like force his, <laughs> his help. So he, I think he takes a brick and sets he just it. Brings it to he him. just yeah brings mm -hmm. the, the brick to him. Now I'm, now I'm blanking out. I feel like there were like a bunch of different little steps. Yes. So Juan brought the brick 
and set it up on the the plank, whatever it was yeah. that was the 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 construction that he had built. And he just kind of sits there for a minute and Homer looks at it and he's like, fine. And he picks it up. So he didn't have to walk as far. And then another townsperson comes in and they kind of start this line of like passing the bricks down. And then slowly, like they go up to the platform and they start laying the bricks themselves. And then before, you know, Homer's like, wait, 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 wait a minute. Like I'm kind of kicked out of this, this part. And then he goes to uh, mother Maria after that and that's when they have their exchange she was like at least the chapel is getting getting built like kind of put your pride aside but I get it from his perspective too he wants to have something that he has created um you know I think you can have both you can say that you've created this but also accept the help um but I understand where he's coming from in that scene yeah, like I said in the beginning, uh, Mother Maria and Homer are both very proud people. Mm-hmm. And I think that has served them in some ways. And especially in, in Homer's case, I think as the audience, we're like, fuck yeah, you should be mm-hmm. proud and you should assert yourself. Yeah. And, and we totally understand why you, you have this drive to, to prove yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think you're kind of rooting for him to, to, to get that. But then again, I think it's, it's done so well once all the townspeople do start helping and it kind of goes to shit and no one can communicate. And then suddenly you see that that's Homer's place and he is still needed mm-hmm. and he, he is still essential um, to this, the, the task at hand. Um, and and again, I, I think, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, go on. I was going to say, and I think you see the generosity trickle down because then Mr. Ashton comes and brings supply. I know. Well. <laughs> and bring, he brings um, the wrong brick, the wrong type. Right. And it's funny because he does this and then mother Maria is like, oh, great. You're going to bring us bricks and you're going to bring us lumber and cement because now we're going to build a school and we're going to build a hospital. And so he says, I should have donated this anonymously. Um, yeah, <laughs> which, I, which I found funny, but yeah, like, and I did like that scene of Mr. Ashton coming back to the site and seeing like, who's the boss and seeing that mm. it's Homer. Um, although I will say it was a bit hypocritical that he was then like, I want you to be my foreman. Cause you're, you're a great worker after he had said all of those sure. terrible things about it. But, and then Homer turns him down. He's like, no, I don't need that. Which I felt like is a really good moment oh, yeah. for, for Homer He's as like, well. Nah, I have a job. Nah, I'm good. Yeah. Thanks. Hard yeah. pass. Um, there was a note on IMDb trivia that I wanted to bring up before we talk about the end. And it was about the building of the chapel. And so they actually did build this chapel and... It said, since the story's action was tied to the chapel's construction, a crew had to work through the night to keep up with its progress in the film. And then the actual building was real um, and could have stood for decades, but because it was built on rented property, it had to be demolished immediately, which I was like, I don't know. Is that a little sacrilege? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to say, I think that's, that's a blaspheme and may have uh, started some kind of curse. I don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> My God. Yeah. Okay, so the townspeople come to help build the chapel. I'm trying to remember the significant moments um, leading up to it, um, but they build it. Uh, they get it done. There is a there is a fiesta party night. There which is, yeah. Was so like this was 
probably one of my favorite moments. It's when all the men are dancing and drinking and hurrahing for the hard work that they've done. And then you see the women and the nuns are watching from the side, very like stoic stone face expressions. And Mother Maria starts speaking in German. You don't know what she's saying, but then one of the women starts speaking in Spanish and it's kind of like, you kind of know what they're saying without knowing what they're saying. And then another woman says in English, if they build a house, a barn, it's always a fiesta. And I just loved like that moment because as a woman, like you, the language barrier is there, but you know what they're all thinking and saying. Right. Yeah. You can say a lot with a look and they had looks on their face. (laughs) For sure. They were just like, these men, what are they doing? They were very like uh, rolling their eyes at them. So they have the fiesta and then the next day, um, I think they still have to finish the steeple. It's not Mm -hmm. on the church. It's like next to, yeah, it's an interesting construction. (laughs) Yeah, it was. I didn't know if that was for anything. It kind of looked like a, like an opening for a fire pit, but I'm not sure that I don't think that's the right. No, because I think (laughs) it's also supposed to have a bell one day, which I think that's where the bell would be. But yeah, it looks like basically a steeple that you would see on top of the church, but it's just like next to it. Um, Oh, maybe I missed for a brain. Maybe there wasn't an opening because now I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Sorry, but I'm curious because I wonder if that that was just like normal construction or if that would be hard, especially on a low budget film to build a steeple. Like that's, that's advanced architecture. Right. That thing up. Um, and we see Homer at the top, you have the, you know, the cross, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, the concrete around it is still wet. And so he writes his name in the concrete. Good for him. Of a steeple. (laughs) I mean, sure. And I know he's Baptist, but that seems a little, little sacrilege okay Okay. because I know it's a common thing when you are a builder like you write you like you know put your name in the wet cement as a way to mark that you've built this thing but maybe that's not as acceptable when it's a yeah especially like on the like under the the cross but like Uh, nobody's ever gonna go up there and see it (laughs) Claire God God can see. Okay. I know God's looking down and Homer's like, Hey, just so just in case you ever forget, I did this. (laughs) I was here. Um, I don't Mm -hmm. know. Builders let us know. Uh, do you always write your name and your, your properties specifically if it's a chapel too, like, is that, is that kosher? kosher? (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. So then after that, um, the next scene I remember they're in their home, whatever, where they kind of meet and where they eat dinner. Oh, there's a part though, where father Murphy comes by, um, which I felt like was like a very heartfelt moment where he gets to walk inside of the chapel and see it. Completed. And then, yeah. Yeah. And he's just in awe. Cause he's been praying for this. And so yes. he's like, my prayers have been, have been answered. So I felt like that was a really touching moment and that's what I mean we really get to see mm-hmm. like all the the fruits of their uh literal labor so anyway so they're back inside um Homer is clearly exhausted um <laughs> and mother Maria comes in and she has a list she's like you have to screw down uh the pews you have to do this and this and Homer is like it's done it's done and mm-hmm. that's done 
And again, you can really tell that he's, he's exhausted. And I don't know if it's weariness from not just the physical labor, but also mother Maria. <laughs> Cause she's I just like, like, he was a little sad too. Like a little bit of sadness that it was done. Yeah. But yeah. Could um, be weariness. Yeah. I got the sense that he was a little, just like, get off my back lady. <laughs> like, look how I'm much sure. I've done for you. Um, <sighs> so then he ends up breaking into an English lesson by singing mm-hmm. amen. Oh, I'm sorry. Before that. And this is important. <laughs> yes. He says that he, he built the chapel, which is how uh, mother Maria would pronounce the chapel. And then she mm-hmm. corrects him and she says, um, you built the chapel. And he says, Oh, a correction. Thank you. And she says, thank. And she uh... stops herself from saying thank you. Cause this woman cannot say thank mm-hmm. you. Cause to her, mm-hmm. he's very much, you know, an, an instrument of God and the person yeah. to thank is, is God. Um, yeah. For Homer, for the bricks, for everything. Um, for, so the she has, that for the food brought. that he pays for <laughs> and he, delivers. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she has a really hard time saying thank you. And so she says, mm-hmm. thank you. And then she stops, but then mm-hmm. Homer, yeah, Homer's it. like, that's very nice. <laughs> like he mm-hmm. takes it and there's that yeah. moment between them. Um, and then he goes into the singing amen. And as he's singing it, he walks out the door and keeps walking to his car, singing amen. And they're inside singing amen. Mm-hmm. And he packs his stuff up and Homer's on his merry way. And then instead of the end flashing across the screen, like they used to do mm. all the time in old movies, it says amen. I thought was a nice touch. Yeah. And that, and that's it. What did you think about the ending? I thought, you know, as mysteriously as he arrived, Mm -hmm. mysteriously, he just left. And I feel like it was, you know, it wasn't sad. It wasn't to me, it wasn't like a sad, like goodbye. It was a celebration and I found it very, I don't know, just something special that they they left on the song that they kind of had built together and he just you know sings it they keep going like like they keep going through the chorus line even after he's out the door and he leaves and you can see mother maria like listening Mm -hmm. um to him driving away i don't know i just i liked that it ended on that note it wasn't a big deal it just Mm -hmm. kind of was it kind of was a full circle moment from the beginning I think I would have liked a full thank you from Mother yeah, Maria. True. <laughs> like, get, get the words out. That's okay. Um, mm-hmm. But it's so fitting for her character because she wouldn't yeah. do that. So at least it was a little bit, and it was almost kind of like a slip up, which yes, um, was fun to see, like her kind of break <laughs> Mess in up. that moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and I think it's a really nice ending. Um, as he's walking out and we cut to mother Maria's face a few times. And I, I sensed a, a sadness that it was over mm-hmm. and that he was, and that he was leaving. Um, hopefully she was also, hopefully that means that she was also appreciating him more um, mm-hmm. in that moment. I thought it went on a little long. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I probably would have cut um, sooner and I thought it would have been even, even stronger, but in general, just like the idea of the ending I liked. And now I want to talk about why this movie won or why Sidney Poitier won um, the best Mm -hmm. actor Oscar for this movie, because 
if I had to guess like which movie or movies he won for, it would not have been mm-hmm. Lilies of the Fields. Um, <clears throat> I would have guessed movies like Raisin in the Sun, The Defiant Ones, or Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. These are movies, yeah. um, or even In the Heat of the Night, um, movies where um, race was central to the plot um, yeah. or they're more uh, dramatic films. Um, this, I mean, this is like a, a, a this indie parable movie and very simple and it's a comedy. Um, and so I was, not, I'm not saying it's not an Oscar worthy yeah. performance. I was just surprised because he was also nominated. I think he was the year prior. He was nominated prior um, to this, and I can't remember which movie it was for. I want to say the was Defiant it? Ones, but yeah, that's what I'm yeah. thinking too. So I tried to find an answer. I couldn't, you know, necessarily get a, a direct answer, but I wanted to read this from the Hollywood Reporter. It's their 1963 review um, talking about Poitier's performance. So it says The character is a universal young man, today's young man, Hep flip and yet with a longing to create, to build something of enduring value in a world where the bulldozer seems designed to level impartially hill and home. Poitier has had little opportunity to display his comic talents. He shows here his timing and technique are impeccable. His relationship with the five women is delicate, not because of difference in race, but of sex and plays beautifully. Um, I read a couple of other reviews from the time. They also cite his comedic timing um, and just mm-hmm. in general, kind of the sweetness and charm of this movie. Um, others kind of, you know, wonder how much the, the time had to do with it. Again, this mm-hmm. is 1963, um, right. which was a pivotal year in the civil rights movement. Um, so I wanted to ask you, Claire, why you think he won for this performance? I mean, I think that definitely the time it's hard to not look at the time that this came out and what was happening and I think Sydney's Oscar win was perceived as Hollywood kind of picking a side in the civil rights movement the article I mentioned before from the New Yorker really did I think a fairly good job of like going into the um how his Oscar win was perceived through the years afterward. Um, And, you know, when you look at Lilies of the Field, um, or I'm sorry, when you look at after Lilies of the Field, all of these movies that he starred in, like To Serve With Love or Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, um, he wasn't even nominated, but his white co-stars won. Um, And so I think it speaks to over the years that, and I'm not saying this is what I perceive it, just what was being perceived by the public was that his Oscar win did kind of sour because, you know, I think the sad truth um, is that, well, this is what he, I think maybe wrote in his autobiography of so- or somewhere, um, but he recognized that there was resentment in his, his win and the sad truth that Hollywood was quote, not ready not yet ready to entertain more than one minority person Mm -hmm. at that level. And I think that's really evident in the history of the Oscars, you know, over the 90 years since the Oscars have started, there's only been 20 actors, uh, actor winners who have been black and four of them for, for best actor. 
And so, you know, it took almost 20 years for another black actor to win a top Oscar after Sydney did. And then 40 years for another black actor to win the best actor category at the Oscars. And then, you know, you have the controversy of Oscars so white that happened in 2016. So I think with all like just reading through all of that and reflecting on it, I think it's still a historic moment and definitely Sydney as an actor deserves to be recognized uh, in especially in that category of best actor. I think that's definitely something to be celebrated and that shouldn't be diminished. But at the same time, I think we also have to recognize that this might have been a political move or done for just appearance sake because of the fact that it took so long for like another person of color to to win an award yeah so more about that um in 2002 Sidney Poitier is given the honorary academy award for like his lifetime achievements that same year Denzel Washington won the best actor Oscar for training day and he was the first black man to win that award since Sidney Poitier Mm -hmm. so between 1963 and 2002 um And also that same year, Halle Berry became the first Black woman to win Best Actress, and she remains the only Black woman to do so. And so, yeah, I mean, on one hand, I still think these wins are notable and significant. On the other hand, and and I think really, maybe we should be speaking specifically about the Academy. Mm. Not not that it's not reflective of uh, problems in the the rest of of society, um, but I, I think it's more of a reflection on, on the Academy um, mm-hmm. and that they still haven't managed mm-hmm. to get it right. Although I guess I'd also say a reflection on, on the industry, right? Because this, it starts yeah. with access and opportunity and casting and all those things as well. Right. Um, I know that Halle Berry publicly has kind of, has talked about just being devastated that she is still the only woman. And if you rewatch her acceptance speech, I mean, she is beside herself. It is incredibly emotional and she Mm -hmm. feels the history of that moment. And she really believed it was going to open so many doors. Um, Mm -hmm. And the fact that she remains the only black woman to win that award um, is, is disheartening, I think, to say the least. And so, I mean, again, I think these moments should be celebrated but also let's give more credit to the career, the body of work, um, mm-hmm. the other accomplishments of, of Sidney Poitier and, um, and other artists, because while those awards can be honors, um, it shouldn't end there. It shouldn't end there. And, and they're clearly missing something, you know, like the yeah. Academy is, is, is missing something. So i, I- felt like the New Yorker there was a a quote in the New Yorker article I read that kind of put it best and it said quote his Sydney's Oscar legacy is about more than progress in quotes Um, it's also about solitude and the limits of symbolic victories Hmm. and when you look at the time that this was happening in with the civil rights movement and what has happened since over history I think it's hard not to think that Hollywood did this as a tick on the box of like, we did this. Um, but again, I think it's twofold. Like you, you have to start somewhere. You have to have some progress somewhere. 
and then you have to be able to follow through on exactly. that. So I think that's that speaks more to the academy than anything else. And and yeah. award, I mean, the industry, like you said, in general, and it's not just the academy. All the award shows have been like this over the years. Yeah, and I've this is like somewhat off topic, um, but as I've gotten older and watching these award shows, it's kind of silly. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) no other job or career do we so publicly and nationally hand out these awards and have these big emotional moments and, and speeches. Mm -hmm. And, and I guess I I just say that to reiterate, like there's much more than um, uh, awards that we should value. And I think, yeah. And I think there's, we're going to go probably go on a tangent, but now I think that there's more also to movies that aren't even considered for these awards you know, I think a lot of times the movies that get nominated are these critically and, and to an extent, like a lot of them are deserved. I say I don't want to take away from that, but there are these I don't know. I think there's a notion that anything else that isn't high art is kind of looked down on. And there, I don't, there's a whole lot to go into with that. I don't want to like well, steer our conversation, but yeah. there's yeah. Well, even again, going back to Lilies of the Field being a comedy and winning, mm-hmm. um, or, or, or Sidney Poitier winning the award for this, um, I think that's something that's been a struggle um, in mm-hmm. the history of, of award season is recognizing yeah. comedic performances and comedic works of art, um, especially out, outside just the comedy category. Mm-hmm. And because sometimes comedy is can be comedy dramas and comedy romances and comedy musicals. Like there's like so much crossover potential. And sometimes I think those kind of movies get forgotten, which again is why I was in part surprised that this was the one he won for. But yeah, I think like uh, there's only been maybe one horror movie to have mm. won an Oscar. Um, I know a lot yeah. of directors talk down about like the you know, MC, MCU movies or, you know, different like superhero movies, they say like should never be considered for an Oscar win. Um, that's probably a different whole other debate, yeah. but you know, I think there is a, like a look down on things that are different films and movies that aren't considered these like highbrow, high level. Yeah. This isn't, you know, media or high, high level media. And so, but that doesn't take away or, take away from their value I'll say right anyway that was like a whole other (laughs) tangent sorry (laughs) again we could uh we could do I need to write these ideas down we could do a whole episode on like the history of the academy and the history of words but god we we won't subject you to that today no um either way all that to say Sydney for sure deserved to win yes um I'd say and I think it definitely like at least created a jumping off point as much as they didn't follow through on that jumping off point, it at least started something. Yeah. Okay. Let's get to our why the flick moments. I don't have many. Um, I didn't either. One that we, yeah, it is one that we just talked about kind of, um, but why the flick can't mother Maria just say, thank you. Just Mm, again, there's, that's that pride, I think getting in the way. Like, yeah, isn't, I mean, I don't know. Isn't it a religious, you know, like a, a maybe Christian thing to show gratitude, appreciation, yeah. gratitude potentially? I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. Come on, Mother Maria. Um, okay. So I guess my like 
main overseeing why the flick is just why the flick does Homer keep staying around, which is, it has been, we've talked about it, but you know, at some point early on, before he even really knew the nun's stories, he just kept sticking around, um, hoping to get paid, but that we've addressed like the more deeper meanings of why he ended up staying. Yeah. Um, even when he wasn't getting paid. Yeah. So I think initially you have, he's still hoping, expecting to get paid. Um, you know, the moment with Mr. Ashton, that kind of confrontation, uh, really pushes Homer. Mm-hmm. That's when he declares for the first time, I'm building this chapel because now he's trying yeah. to prove something. And then there's something else that just escaped my mind. So there are a few moments where it seems very clear and makes sense that he is sticking around, but Mm -hmm. it seemed more like early on when Mm -hmm. he first like fixed the roof and then they were like it's too late you need to stay for dinner and he was like all right and then the next morning you know he was still like not getting getting paid so that I think at that point I was like why does he keep staying but obviously if he didn't stay there wouldn't be a movie so it was yeah that he did that was the the other reason was once he learns the nun's story, I think that kind of pulls him in. But yeah, um, I do think that could be a criticism of this movie is a kind of a little bit of a hole in the plot. Because like you said, there are a couple uh-huh. of times where like he could have and probably should have, and it would have made sense for him to just leave, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But if he had left, we wouldn't have a movie. Um, okay. Why the flick is Homer wearing a Hawaiian shirt when he returns? Where did he go? Also apparently has a black eye. Like, I just need to know what happened. Right. I had a similar, like why the flick did Homer come back. And I was, I did notice the Hawaiian t-shirt. He was just like living his life on the West coast. And I mean, that's all I can gather. Maybe he did go to Hawaii. I probably not. Hawaii or you mean California? (laughs) No, no, yeah. I mean, oh, maybe Hawaiian he t-shirt. went to California and then also went to Hawaii, but I, I kid. Um, Who knows? We don't know where he came from. We don't know where he went. I just love it's how casual and cool he looked coming out of that car. And it, in, in that scene too, he just like, they're, they have to walk to, I don't know if we explained this, probably not, but we, they have to walk to the outdoor back of the truck church every Sunday and all of a sudden like his car comes rolling out of the mountains and he just there's no there are no words spoken he just opens the door and then goes around and opens the other side of the door for the nuns to like be able to pile in ties it shut what you notice that he ties it shut (laughs) yeah which also what the flick happened what there you go that's a what the flick not why the flick but why the flick did he have to tie his car yeah door also when he uh when they go to the church service and he gets out of the car and he has his sunglasses on and mother maria says smile and he complies right away that is huge Mm -hmm. for him because he's very much a like you're not going to tell me what to do i'm my own boss Uh, mm -hmm. but with mother maria uh gives him a command and he follows it i think because they've gotten to a point where they've like they have a mutual like respect um yeah and I think it was a moment for Maria to like rub it, not maybe not rub it in people's faces, but yeah, just yeah. To be like, Hey, he came back told and you. <laughs> look, I told you he would be here. So yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Okay. Uh, let's go to our ratings. Um, so I'm the IMDB. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that's what it's called. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard of it before. Uh, gives us a 7.6 out of 10 stars. Rotten Tomatoes uh, is 92% critics, 86% audience. My rating, which I have not thought about until this moment. <laughs> uh, I'm going to get whatever comes to you. Uh, yeah. I'm just go with the flow, man. I'm like, I'm like <laughs> the lilies in the field. <laughs> exactly. Um, let give it to God. What is God? And that's probably a little bit too, too far religious. Yeah. Sorry. Let's not, let's not get carried away. <laughs> um, I give this, I give this four out of five flicks. Um, and I think not five flicks just because like I've said, I wanted to know a little bit more about Homer's story and his background, where he came from, where he was going, kind of what was really driving him. And then, you know, I mentioned the ending, which I really, I I really liked. I just thought it went on a touch, um, Mm -hmm. too long that kind of took away from the moment. Um, I don't know. Party is like, who the fuck am I <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to criticize um, this very historic, um, beautiful right. film? But I think mm-hmm. the filmmakers and hopefully Sidney Poitier would want us to still um, look at these things with a critical eye. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I love it. It's a movie I'll certainly watch again. Like I said, I'm really excited to watch more of Sidney Poitier's movies and just dive into his life and career. You mentioned the mm-hmm. memoir. I think he has a couple um, that I'm definitely adding to my list. So I'm just, I'm really grateful yeah. um, for this movie and this chance to, to talk about it and hopefully honor him a little bit. So yeah. four out of five flicks. So I am going to give this a 4.7 flicks. Um, I don't know if this is really, and it's, I mean, I think speaks to um, just my lack of maybe I appreciate old movies, but it's not always something that I get into mm-hmm. necessarily or think off off the bat. So I appreciate that we have this podcast where we can um, watch these older movies and and get to see these moments. But yeah, I, so I really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was quirky and for the most part, lighthearted. Um, I think it's always interesting to watch old movies in retrospect or in, you know, watching these older movies as how they were perceived back then. I ex- I kind of expected it to be more problematic when it came to certain issues, specifically race. And it was, I mean, I think it, it definitely went above my expectations there. And I think as me being a white woman, I don't think it's for me to say whether or not this movie addressed race the right way, but I feel like they had a good balance of presenting all of these issues, of not only race, but immigration and religion, you know, it felt like everything was well-balanced as far as how they were portraying it and nothing was super over, like hitting you on the head. Um, I also want to recognize the you know historical significance of this movie and how it started changing the narrative for black characters in film and also the recognition of black actors in the industry uh I think Sydney Portier I feel like uh every time I'm going to say his last name I'm going to mess it up Sydney Poitier and let me tell you this Poitier. to make you feel better because I think a lot of people okay. mispronounced it 
And when he was awarded his Presidential Medal of Freedom and they announced his name, they kept saying Patier or, or it was a really horrific like pronunciation. Yeah. Um, it wasn't Patier, but anyway, it's Poitier. Okay. Sidney Poitier was so good in this movie, his comedy, Pure Joy to Watch, along with Lilia Scala. Oh God, another name I'm going to mess up. <laughs> Scala. I think, yeah. Uh, they were a duo. Um, being said, I, I don't think there was a lot of character development with the other nuns. I kind oh, of almost yeah. would have liked to see, like Mother Maria for sure had a lot of character development. I just would have liked to maybe have seen Sydney or Homer, sorry, interact with them a little bit more. Um, although they were very adorable. I loved the nuns. They were so fun to watch. Um, and maybe they didn't need as much character development, but would have liked to gotten to know them a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I give it set or 4.7 flicks out of five, which ever since you told me that thing about the song with the, how many flicks do we give? So sorry. I can't tell you how many times I've been singing that in my head. <laughs> Have you, I was going to send you the YouTube video. Have you seen the video? No. Or the song? No, I just go, how many flicks do I give? <laughs> Not one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, moving on. <laughs> uh, Claire, what's our next pick? What are What's next week? And then what's your next pick? Okay. Okay. So next week, we are going to have a special episode. Did I say what the movie is? Or do you think we should leave it yeah, as a tease? No, I would, I would say, say yeah. Okay. 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 We won't, we won't leave you hanging. So, um, next week we are going to personally, we are going to take a little break, but we didn't want to leave you with nothing to listen to. So we are resurfacing our episode from Nomadland from a previous podcast I used to be on. And Elizabeth came on as a guest at the time. So because we loved the writer so much, even though it emotionally drained me, um, <laughs> We wanted, we love, love Chloe Zhao and Nomadland in particular. So we kind of wanted to resurface that and bring it back to life as it should, because it deserves all the recognition. So that will be coming next week. And then the week after that is my birthday week. So I wanted to pick a very special movie that is near and dear to my heart. I was trying to think of like like the quintessential 90s movie to watch. There's so many to pick and choose from. I did try to look at some of like the movies that came out specifically in 1990. And I will say I did spare you from having to watch Arachnophobia, which came out in Thank 1990. Thank you. Thank you. I was like, I almost did, but I was like, no, I don't really want to do that on my birthday. Um, so instead we are going to be watching Ms. Doubtfire. Very cool. good choice. Good choice. Thank yes. you. <laughs> I, when I think of, and we'll talk about this when we, when we recap it, but when I think of the nineties, my childhood, like Robin Williams is always like front and center. And so I'm really excited. All right, guys, this is Elizabeth. We had some technical difficulties. Turns out the Wi-Fi at the library isn't the most reliable, but Hey, got us through most of the episode. Uh, to recap next week is Nomadland. The week after that is Mrs. Doubtfire for Claire's birthday week. She's super excited, as am I. Um, please check us out wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast. Subscribe, give us a rating, and as always, join the conversation. Let us know what you think about these movies. If there's a movie you are itching to have a conversation about, let us know. 
and we'll add it to the queue. All right, catch you next week.